Welcome to the Chad Cargill ACT Test Prep Podcast, coming to you from the Ollie Ray Ranch in Choctaw, Oklahoma. My goal is to give practical tips to help you increase ACT scores, qualify for college, and win those much-needed scholarships. We'll talk colleges, careers, and most of all, test-taking strategies and tips. This is episode 11. Today for the episode, I'm going to have the first guest in this podcast series, and it's going to be with a friend of mine, a, a great person, a mentor as well, and Thomas Umstead Jr. is his name, and I'm going to tell you about him in just a moment. Now, before we begin, Friday at 2 p.m., if you're listening to this live, Friday, April 24th at 2 p.m., I'm going to be hosting a live Crowdcast session. It'll be a Q&A. I'm encouraging students, parents, teachers, administrators, anyone who wants to register for that. I'll have a link for that in the show notes. But register for that, and you can join me for about an hour or so uh, session. I'll be answering any questions you want. Crowdcast has a great platform where you'll be able to submit your questions. Um, we'll have live voting on the questions. I'll answer the ones that get the most votes as we go. We'll have live polls going during the broadcast, and we'll have a chat going as well with everyone. And I really hope you'll join me and let me answer any of those test prep questions you might have. And again, same as with this podcast, we can discuss colleges, careers, your scholarship apps, your interviews, your campus visits, majors, and certainly ACT test prep strategies and tips as well. So I really hope you'll consider joining. You can register for that and I'll be adding the link to the show notes so you can get on there. And I'll have that link also on the Chad Cargill Workshops Facebook page. Now let's get to today's episode with Thomas Upstead Jr. We've talked about some of the different sections of the ACT and we've worked all the way up to the writing portion at the end. And although today's episode is not necessarily going to be strictly strategies or a method for writing your five paragraph essay style uh, ACT writing portion, this episode is all about becoming a great writer. And I know a lot of you listening, and I hear this a lot at my workshops, you've got ambition or you are aspiring to be a great writer. Some of you have ideas even to write novels, to become a published author. And there is no one better to talk to, in my opinion, than today's guest, Thomas Umstead Jr. To give you a little background on Thomas quickly, um, Thomas is a graduate of University of Mary Hardin Baylor. Thomas hosts multiple podcasts. Um, you'll, you'll find him on the Novel Marketing Podcast and the Christian Publishing Show. Uh, he has the longest running novel publishing marketing podcast in the world. And he, he has been a, a great help of mine in my writing that I am doing about my kids and their story. Thomas has been an author. He's worked even as a marketing director for Enclave Publishing. And so he's going to give great insight into how you get into this and how you take that dream or that aspiration and you can make it a reality with your writing. And also just ways that you can develop your craft and become a better writer, whether that's for uh, your writing in college or your story you're trying to write or even an ACT essay. So let's get started with Thomas and I think you'll really enjoy this and then I'll be back with you right at the end of the interview and we'll summarize it up and hopefully uh, you will have gained a lot from this. So let's get started with Thomas Umstead Jr. Well, Thomas, it is great to have you on the podcast. I'm glad you're here. Thanks, Chad. I'm happy to be here. Well, I know there's a lot of different ways or styles that you can write ACT writing, five paragraph essays and such, but 
I have a ton of students who attend my workshop. They want to be writers. They've got this idea. I'm going to write this book or improve their writing and teachers that are listening as well, who uh, really want to inspire their students to be great writers. So I'm excited to have you as my very first guest on the podcast to talk writing. And I want to start with how you got involved and you've had a lot of roles uh, in, in the whole writing, publishing, author coaching. I want to talk about or let you start by telling us how you got involved in publishing, author coaching, and even your work as an author. Yeah, I wrote my first book or I started writing my first book back in college. So I was pretty young and at the time I felt like I was very old. <laughs> but uh, I took that to a writer's conference and I was sitting in the obligatory marketing talk and they're like, you got to get a website, you got to get a, a blog. And all of these authors were terrified. And I was like, well, I've been building websites since I was 13 years old. So I offered to build a free website for an author. And she introduced me to all of her friends to build them websites. I'm like, well, I'm going to charge them. <laughs> so I started charging them for websites. Yeah. And the next time I went to a writer's conference, I took a brochure with me for websites. And I had authors write me checks for new websites right there on the spot. And I was like, nice. Oh, maybe there's more interest in my websites for authors than there is in my book. Because <laughs> I had a little bit of interest from some agents, just kind of nibbles. And uh, the book at the time wasn't setting the world on fire and my websites were. And so I decided to put that book aside and just pursue the kind of website business for authors. And that turned into Author Media, which at its peak had 10 people all working with authors simultaneously. We built a lot of websites for a lot of authors and did a lot of marketing coaching and marketing consulting along with that. And I started speaking at conferences and, and then the Novel Marketing Podcast started and the rest, as they say, is history. And even your own book that you published. That's right. So yeah, years later, I wrote a blog post that went viral. It got a million uh, views on uh, dating and relationships and all these and, and hundreds of comments, over a thousand comments. And a lot of people were like, you should write a book about this. And I was like, oh, I don't want to write a book about this. And I had enough people ask me. And after a Catholic priest asked me to write a book, I was like, well, gosh, this guy's so far away from me theologically. If even a Catholic priest wants me <laughs> to write a book about this, I should I should consider it. And so I was like, OK, people of my blog, I'll call your bluff. I'll put the book on Kickstarter. And if you raise ten thousand dollars to help me afford all of the professionals I'm going to need to make this book a reality, then I'll write the book. So I put the book on Kickstarter, gave it the good old college try. And wouldn't you know it, they raised the money. <laughs> so then I had to write the book. <laughs> so I wrote the book and it was a great experience and it changed a lot of people's minds. Uh, in fact, in some ways, the debate's kind of over. There's not a lot of folks on the other side anymore. Uh, so the book did its intended purpose and uh, was a great learning experience. So I ended up not just being a coach of authors, but also going through the process uh, myself, kind of against my own will. I was drug into it a little bit by my readers, but it was, it was, um, it was a lot of fun. It was very rewarding too. And writing a book and having it out there is, is a great feeling and there's really nothing else quite like it. So a student comes to me at a workshop and we start talking about, you know, her interests, what she likes. And she says, well, I love to write and I've got this great idea and, and I want to write much like, uh, you know, what, what you did. I mean, you had a, an idea, you put in a blog post and then it kind of exploded from there. And so to that student, you know, she initially might think kind of historically that, oh, okay, I've got to get to a publisher and I've got to do all this. And, uh, you know, I, I want you just to discuss briefly, if you would, just the difference in indie publishing versus traditional publishing. 
Okay. So the um, with indie publishing, you do everything. You're independent, or rather, you're responsible for doing any, everything. So just like it's, it says in the Bible that Solomon built the temple, it doesn't mean that Solomon was there with a hammer knocking nails into the temple or putting stones on top of each other. It means that he was responsible for seeing that the temple was done. And with indie publishing, you are the Solomon. Whereas with traditional publishing, somebody else is the Solomon. Somebody else is responsible for making sure that the book happens and you do just one part. You do just the writing part. Somebody else does the cover. Somebody else does the typesetting and somebody else ultimately has the financial responsibility, takes the financial risk. And you're, you're almost kind of like an employee of the publishing company. You're not actually an employee. You get a 1099, but it's, it's like being an employee in that you don't have very much control over what happens. Whereas with indie publishing, both for good and for bad, you have full control. So there's no one to blame if you fail. <laughs> so a lot of authors, when their book fails, they blame their publisher. Whereas if they're independently published, it's all on them. <laughs> they were The buck stops with you if you're the independent publisher. And there's a lot more to learn if you're independently published, but you also have a lot more control and you can be a lot more nimble. So you can put books out faster. There's no gatekeepers. So if you know the traditional publishers aren't interested in the kind of book that you write, that's okay. As long as you can find readers who like that kind of book, uh, they'll go with it. And the speed of publishing is the reason why I decided to indie publish because I knew the book was based off of a blog post. The window for this conversation was very limited. And if I went with a traditional publisher, it would take 18 months to get the book out. And as it was, I was able to get the book out in, I think, six months. And that's having never published a book before. I went from zero to published in about six months. Sure. And, you know, when students come to my class and they get my prep book, same type thing. I mean, it would have been a long process to get that out and uh, been controlled by uh, publishers, but we self-published that. And it, it was a little bit harder in that I had to get some experts to help me. I had to get a, a cover, you know, an artist to do the cover for us. I mean, you know, I had to research a lot on my own, but I think the point is, is that if a student has an idea, hey, I really want to write this story, that student's not necessarily locked down to where she has to get approved by a publisher to get it out there. She can indie publish. And that kind of leads me on my next thing I wanted to just mention with you, but it's easier now than ever to publish a book, right? Right, Thomas? That's right. The um, There's some new technologies that have really changed the game. So about 10 years ago, give or take, two technologies both kind of hit at the same time that kind of made indie publishing a lot more financially viable for a lot more people. And those technologies are print-on-demand, which is where books are printed one at a time, kind of like you print from your laser printer, rather than like having to do a big typesetting job. And it only makes financial sense if you're printing 10,000 copies. So digital printing and print-on-demand allowed the number of units to be much smaller. So you didn't need $5,000 or $10,000 just for printing costs to print a book you could put $0, right? And the yeah. people who pay for the book, the paper book are your readers and they make an order, the book is printed and it's sent to them. The other technology that had a big impact is the Kindle. Uh, so especially for fiction, a lot of big fiction readers bought Kindles so that they could get less expensive books, right? You spend $50 on a Kindle or $80 on a Kindle and now you can buy your books for $2 or $5 a book. And so for big readers, the whale readers, the people who read 100 books a year plus, they all bought Kindles <laughs> in the in the 2000s. 
And now they all have Kindles and there's a big market for eBooks, which, you know, as an indie, there's no financial outlay for that at all, right? You don't even have to split the paper costs. I mean, Amazon takes a cut, but other than Amazon's cut, you get to keep all of the money. And those two things really allowed, at least from a financial perspective, indie publishing to work. If you're a savvy indie author, you can connect directly with your readers and sell them either print-on-demand books or you can sell them ebooks and the print on demand quality for most readers is indistinguishable they can't tell the difference the main difference is that it does cost more on a per book basis but it's nothing out of pocket yeah so it wouldn't take a huge investment early 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 on to print 4000 copies of a book and then you got to pray to god you can sell those 4000 and hopefully uh, get your money back on that plus some right that's right, because not only do you have to pay to get those 4,000 printed, but you also have to figure out warehousing and uh, yeah. shipping and distribution. It's all very complicated. Whereas if you go with Ingram Spark or Amazon KDP Print, which are the two indie publishing companies that I recommend, they will print the book near where it is being shipped to. So if you're selling your book in Australia, they don't print the book in the United States and then put it on a plane and fly it to Australia. They print the book, the one copy you sold in Australia. They print it in Australia, and then they just ship it from there to Australia. There's no warehouse, and the uh, supply chain is much shorter and simpler. And it's way less complicated for you because you don't have to worry about all of those details. They're all handled by one of those two companies. Okay, so when a student has this idea. I want, you know, I got a high school senior says, man, I really want to write this novel. So you have, uh, through your author media, you have a great program that you have your five-year plan. So I just want to pause with that and just say, look, writing a book, it's, it's a marathon. It's not a sprint. So this isn't something that we're just going to, you know, pin out in a few days and, uh, and, and send and all of a sudden hit a bestseller list. But in your five-year plan, you really focus on short stories. And I want to, I want to, direct this a little bit toward the teachers in ways that teachers can help foster great writing in their students. And so tell us a little bit why you focus on short stories. Why are those so important in developing craft? Yeah. So um, most authors don't write short stories and I think it really hurts them because what they end up doing is they make the same mistakes in chapter one as they're making in chapter 30. And when they learn to fix those mistakes, they have to the mistake, the same mistake in 30 chapters. And it's just a very time-consuming, slow process to get better at the craft of writing. And the metaphor that I like to use is um, of swim team. Like if you've ever been in a swim team, good swim teams don't swim a lot of regular laps. They swim a lot of drills, you know, where you're just kicking, you know, for 20 minutes just to work on your kicking technique, or you're doing your strokes in a certain way to work on your stroke technique. And yes, there is some regular swimming and some, you know, even sprint practice, but that is not what a good swim team does, right? And a good short story can be a drill for a certain kind of, you know, writing technique. You know, let's say you're working on showing instead of telling. So you write a whole short story focused on just showing instead of telling, or you are trying to get your character voices to be more distinct. So you write a short story focused on a character voice that's very different than the normal kind of character voice that you write. And because it's a short story, you don't have to worry about it being connected with you know the other chapters. You have more freedom in the writing and it helps improve your craft a whole lot faster. So the five-year plan in the early years is you read a book on craft, 
And then you write a short story, putting that book on craft into practice. And then you do it again. And then you do it again. It's not that complicated. Um, and yet it makes all of the difference. Our, our students who are going through that are getting better faster than kind of your typical author who's just working and working for years and years on the same book. And it's still not very good because they're just working on it in this very inefficient way where they're having to make the same fixes, the same repairs over and over and over again. Yeah. And, and your answer uh, led directly to my next question that I was going to ask you about. Uh, I want to touch on a few of these craft buzzwords that you know are pretty common in the in the author communities, but stuff that might help students. And you you hit the first one on my list here. Uh, you know, in elementary school, we have show and tell, but in writing, we teach show, don't tell. Can you address that and even give an example? Yeah, so um, telling is, you know, kind of describing from the narrator's perspective what's going on. So you would say, Sally is sad, right? And it requires me to believe you that Sally is sad, and it doesn't cause me as the reader to feel that Sally is sad. Whereas if you show... Sally crying, right? You describe the tears coming uh, from her eyes and you describe the situation that caused her to be sad. You don't have to tell me that Sally is sad. You can show me that Sally is sad with with her tears and with her physical reaction. And it's um, when you're first getting started, it's very easy and kind of lazy to just tell what all the things are happening. And it's one of the kind of first kind of lessons that you learn in basically any craft book is to not do that, right? You can't take the lazy way. You have to show what your characters are feeling, you have to show what your characters are doing, you have to use descriptive words and kind of get the reader closer to the action. And when you do this, the reader will have a more powerful emotional response to your writing, right? These aren't just rules because we're being mean and coming up with rules. They're rules because they work, right? The more your reader is moved emotionally, the more likely they are to keep reading, the more likely they are to finish your book, and the more likely they are to recommend you to their friends. And so the authors who are able to show instead of tell, sell more copies and make more of a difference in the world, and they make more money than the authors who do a lot of telling. Yeah, great, great writing appeals to senses, right? I mean, the touch, the feel, the taste, the, you know, instead of saying it was cold outside, you know, you mentioned the scarf and tightening up the coat or something. I mean, just when it appeals to those senses, you you feel the writing more than just being told about the situation. In writing, more than in film, there are senses you can really leverage. So you can talk about what something smelled like, what something tasted like, uh, whereas those things are very hard to convey on screen right? You, it's really hard yeah. to convey yeah. what something tastes like on screen, and yet you can do it as an author. And it's one of the fun things about literature, books over movies. Okay. Another thing that a lot of high school students really struggle with, not just high school students, but especially uh, when, I'm, when I'm thinking about writing uh, an essay that's effective or writing a short story that's effective or, or something is tight writing. Students get extremely wordy. And so just address that as a, as a craft. How, why do we want to have tight writing? So the more bloated your words are, the longer it takes you to get to the point, the more people will, their minds will wander and they won't be uh, convinced. And non-tight writing, bloated writing is created by writing being taught poorly in school. <laughs> so um, for those of you who are teachers and you're creating writing assignments, I would encourage you instead of having um, you know, at least 800 words about Christopher Columbus, have the, the assignment be 
uh, no more than a thousand words about Christopher Columbus, because that's what real world writing is like. You always have a limit of what's the maximum number of words that you can write, because what happens when you, you know, it has to be a certain number of words. You're incentivizing students to go in and turn every and into as well as, right? Because they turned one word into three words and it kind of trains bloated writing. And um, I see authors who spend years trying to get deprogrammed from that uh, educational approach. And I will say the best way to kind of tighten up your writing, and and I saw this kind of firsthand when I was going through uh, writing class in college, it was the first year we had any kind of blogging, any kind of online service in, in the university that I went to. And it didn't really get implemented until halfway through the semester. It may have been this, my second semester of rhetoric and composition. And the, the professor is like, okay, for our next assignment, I want you all to post it in this new online portal and all the other students are going to read it. And so, oh, yeah. ooh, online, internet, it's so exciting. <laughs> you know, this was the early 2000s. And um, so we did, we all posted our next assignment as a blog post for the other students to read. And I remember him coming back into the class kind of shell-shocked and he gave us all our papers and they all had uh, A's on them. And he was like, this was so much better than what any of you have ever done previously. I had a hard time grading it because having an audience actually writing to a real person, right? Knowing that your peers are going to be reading what you write is incredibly motivating. And this is why I really encourage young people who are wanting to get into nonfiction uh, to write blog posts because it's for the same reason that you write short stories to get into fiction blog posts are really great training uh, to get into, you know, persuasive nonfiction or even memoir, right? If you can sh- tell an, an interesting story about something that happened in your life, uh, you know, in a blog post for a thousand words, 1500 words, that's really great practice, right? It was a, one of my blog posts that turned into my book and it, it helps you having that real life person that you're writing to, that real life audience um, instead of just the teacher, right? The teacher doesn't count. It has to be somebody else. And putting it online does that uh, can really tighten up and focus the writing because there's a who at the end of the piece of paper. That's really good. You know, I, I, for for the listeners out there, Thomas and I know each other uh, and have known each other for a while because I've mentioned on here before I'm writing a, a memoir, the story of my eight adopted kids or right, six, six of my eight kids adopted. And I'm writing the memoir of that. And, uh, you know, I, I've got a lot to learn. Obviously, I'm not a great writer and it's taken a long process. But what you just said um, really struck with me because, because something I have not shared before is that when I decided I want to write the book about the kids, I knew I had a lot of work to do before I would ever be ready. And so one year before I started, I went to Target and I bought three journals and I would write not, I didn't do it every day. It ended up being 185 of the 365 days, but I wrote to my wife, my oldest son and my oldest daughter. And I just journaled just to them, the story of that day, just, you know, what I was thinking, what I was praying about. And I did that for one year. And I, I would, I love to go back and I would read the earlier, you know, journal entries of the year. It was amazing how I developed and how I developed as a storyteller and how I developed just you know, even being clear with my thoughts and my writing. And so I think that's really good because when there's an audience, it definitely changes the way you write. It does. And it it needs to. You need to adapt your writing for the audience. You can't write to everyone the same way. 
and you know, if you're writing to a small child, you know, your target is small children. It's very different than if your audience are experts in your field, right? If you're writing to experts in your field, whatever you're writing about, you can use lots of jargon, right? And that jargon is meaningful to experts uh, or fellow experts, but it's not meaningful to beginners. <laughs> and um, also how you make the arguments and what you are arguing for all are really important. And we even see this uh, in the Bible, right? Though different gospels have different target audiences, right? Matthew is really making a case to Jews that Jesus is the Messiah from the Jewish scriptures, right? And it's a very different argument than, say, the book of Luke, even though they're very similar in a lot of ways. They're still synoptic gospels, but the difference in audience with Luke means that the emphasis is different and the way things are um, portrayed are a little bit different. And uh, all of writing is like that, right? If your whole account is just a letter to one guy, then it's really just a matter of, you know, did Theophilus understand your story or not, right? Did it make sense? Was it compelling to him? Whereas, you know, trying to convince a whole people group uh, from their holy text, it's a very different uh, exercise. And what I recommend for a lot of authors when they're first getting started is not to try to do what um, Matthew did and write to a whole group of people. It's to do what Luke did and write to just a single person because that's easier, right? It's easier to imagine this one representative reader uh, like J.R. Tolkien when he wrote The Hobbit, from my understanding, his his only reader he cared about was his son, right? He wanted to write a story that his son could appreciate. And that gave him clarity of focus, right? And it made it really easy to measure whether or not he was succeeding with each story. It's like, did my son enjoy the story? Yes, no. And if he did, then the book was a success. Yeah, that's really good. Uh, and, and, and same way with genre. I mean, you, you gotta be focused. You can't try to cover every different kind of writing in one. And I think people have a tendency to jump all over. Okay. So uh, in this, in, in my podcast episodes, one thing I really want to do is, is give very practical ways that, um, students, teachers can implement things. And so I'm going to start with students and then we'll, we'll go to teachers. So if a student has an idea, if a student came to you, has an idea, he wants to write about it. Um, what are a few practical steps that you might give him up front um, that, you know, for him to dive into writing? What, what would you tell that student? So let's say uh, a student has a fantasy world that they've been dreaming up for the last, you know, several weeks or months or maybe years. And they're like, I want to take my fantasy world and I want to turn it into a story or an epic, you know, trilogy of novels. What I would encourage them to do is to start with writing short stories. And specifically, short stories that explore different parts of the world, right? So let's say you have some mountains and there's some dwarves in the mountains. Well, write a short story just about those dwarves in the mountains. It, it will help you explore what those mountains are like, what those dwarves are like, but it will also help you practice your writing, right? And let's say there's elves in the forest, right? Then you may write another short story about the elves in the forest. And then maybe you'll write a third story later about an elf in the forest visiting the dwarf in the mountains and you work on you know, point of view, right? What do those mountains look like through the eyes of the elf, right? And I'm using obviously very stereotypical examples, but I feel like this approach applies to really any kind of writing, right? If you're wanting to write a mystery or you're wanting to write a thriller, start with short stories of some of the characters in the story world that you're creating and have them go through an adventure, a small adventure, right? A short story sized adventure, maybe even just a flash fiction uh, sized Um, adventure. I remember when I was in high school, my teacher had us write 
what at the time we didn't have the term, or at least I didn't know the term of flash fiction. And it was really interesting. It was really uh, challenging uh, to write a whole story in a thousand words or less. It was a really great exercise and it was really fun. And um, I remember after one of mine, I'm like, man, I want to turn this into a whole book. And obviously I didn't, but it was, it, it excited my imagination in a really fun way. That's great. And so let's, let's take that now to the teacher side. So English teachers are going to listen to this and, and be like, yeah, that I want to foster this in my students. I want to encourage writers in my class. So what are a few practical tips that you could give the teacher? I think one really easy practical thing to make writing more effective for students is to allow and even encourage them to write fan fiction. Um, and especially since it's in a classroom you don't, and you're not trying to sell it, there's no concern about you know copyright violation. And so especially for, for narrative, for fiction, you know, if you're able to borrow, you know, the characters from Star Wars and write a new story with Luke and Leah and Han, um, a lot of the hard work of, of creating these characters has been done by the, you know, George Lucas and by the films. And that allows a student to kind of uh, practice with training wheels on where they're not having to create the characters. They're just uh, learning how to have them talk, right, and get through a lot of the fundamentals of writing. And it um, makes it a less overwhelming task, right? If you assign it, you know, write 500 words about anything you want. Um, you know, that's really hard, right? It's like, well, gosh, where do I start? What do right. I write about? But if it's, you know, tell a story with, uh, you know, this, um, you know, with Harry Potter and how my Mary, and I would, I wouldn't have all of the students write the same story world, right? I would survey your students or get to know kind of what their favorite movie is, uh, ahead of time. <laughs> and then once you find out what the favorite movie is, then have them write, a short story in that world with some of those characters. And I think that one that will in, in excite their interest because that's a f more fun project potentially, um, but also it's an easier way to get started. And um, what you may find is that they fall in love with fan writing and fan fiction so much, they continue doing it even after your class. And I, I'm a big believer that a teacher's primary objective is not to teach knowledge. It's to teach a passion for the subject. Because if you can teach a passion for the subject in your students, they can continue to find knowledge. But if you kill their passion for the subject or don't uh, give it in the first place, uh, then it doesn't matter how much you teach them, your class will become the tombstone for their future learning of that thing. And so it's really important to make it interesting and to make it fun so that they leave your class more enthusiastic about the topic than they did when they came in. Yeah, it's, that's so good. I mean, you know, I, I think back to some of those teachers that I had, I'm sure you're thinking the same. And I mean, when they, man, they just really had that passion for that. And you, you know, acquired that passion. It, it just changed everything. It wasn't just about, you know, words in a book and regurgitating on a test. It was like real to you and you wanted to be part of it. So I think that's really good. So a student is like, yes, I, I want to do this. I want to be a great writer. But where can that student start learning that? Where, you know, what, what resources are out there? And then I also want to specifically talk about some that you have, but just in general to begin with, hey, I want to be a great writer. How do I start learning to do that? What, what, what's your thoughts on that? Well, the first thing I would say is that this is a really good time in your life to start developing the skills of writing. So with my podcasts and with my company, we work with authors of all different ages and it's a lot easier to start when you're 15 than it is when you're 75, <laughs> because when you're 75 and it, let's say it takes you five years to get the skills. Now you're 80, right? And you're, you're wondering, 
gosh, am I going to be healthy enough at 80 to really, you know, start my career at that point? It's harder to make a, a transition into this business, you know, because writing is a business uh, when you're older. It's not impossible, but man, a lot of people wish they had gotten started when they were your age. So now is the time uh, to get into it. And believe it or not, there are amazing books on writing, right? People who write books, write books about writing. And there are a lot of really good ones out there. You can find them at your local library. There's a whole section in your local library of books about writing. And if all you do is just pick a book, read it, and then write a short story, putting it into practice, and then go to the next one on the shelf and do the same. If you do just that, you will be a better writer than probably 90% of all other writers after just 10, maybe 15 books. Because most other writers think that they're the special one, that they're the chosen one, that they're anointed with special divine (laughs) calling to write, and they don't have to learn how to do it well because their divine calling is all they need. (laughs) And and they have a lot of humbling to go through uh, before they realize that um, just because even if you do have divine calling on your writing doesn't mean you still don't have to get good. (laughs) You have to get good at writing regardless of who you are. And um you can either learn from your own mistakes or you can learn from the mistakes of others. And when it comes to learning from the mistakes of others, the cheapest, easiest way to do it is with a book. Uh, the next easiest way is by listening to podcasts by writers like this one. And the next easiest way is to take an online course of some kind. And then the next easiest way is to go to a conference. Uh, that's a lot more money and it's a lot more time. And if you're young, that may be really tricky because maybe you have to take a parent with you. And now it's two airplane tickets instead of one. Um, but maybe it, maybe it's worth it. Uh, I don't recommend going to conferences, though, until you've done some of those earlier steps. You read some of those books. You've taken some of those online courses so that you can really get your money's worth, so to speak, out of the conference. And then the hardest, most expensive way to learn it is to study it in school. I don't recommend going to college uh, to study writing. Um, Breach this. I, I Let's realize go this may be controversial, <laughs> and I didn't run this by Chad before no. I said it. <laughs> but, no. yeah, I, um, I love this. Go very ahead. Few, yeah, b- very few professional writers, you know, professional authors, studied it in school. And many of the people who studied it in school don't go on to become uh, professional writers because what you'll learn through the university is a very specific kind of writing. Uh, called literary writing. And for the most part, that's not very commercially viable. There's only a market for just a handful of literary authors in any given time. And also it's really, really expensive. And it you can learn those skills without going to college. So I, I recommend that you learn something in college that you can only learn in college, that you can't learn by getting books from the library. And uh, so something like you know science, technology, engineering, medicine, business, um, one of those skills that are considered essential if there's a lockdown, <laughs> that's what you want to study in school. Uh, you can learn philosophy, you can learn English, you can learn history, you can learn those by going to the library. And that's what I've done. I, I've you know read hundreds, if not thousands of books. I, I think I've, I'm closing in on around a thousand audiobooks that I've bought since I graduated from college. And I've studied all of those things. I've read the classics of philosophy and the classics of history and all those liberal arts uh, classes that I didn't take in school. I've been learning on my own and been able to discuss. And you can have your cake and eat it too if you're willing to take those harder classes, those 
kind of more math-based classes. And so um, a lot of people are like, do I really need math in real life? Yes, you absolutely need math in real life. <laughs> the um, skills uh, that you get in your brain from learning math are important in all of the most prestigious jobs. If you want to be the boss, it's really important to be able to understand math and to have built those muscles in high school. So pay attention to your math classes. I'll tell you, it really is important. Well, that's good. Yeah. And uh, I've hinted at that a few times in earlier uh, episodes, uh, just about the the payoff of college, how much it costs and what we're gaining from that. And we're going to talk more about that. I've got another guest coming. I think it'll be on next week's episode. We're going to talk a little bit more about that too. And just, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm glad you brought it up because it's definitely uh, a huge issue and students are graduating with a lot of debt and not able to get a job using it. So, uh, Definitely uh, glad you brought that up. So let's talk uh, specifically, if we can, about you and where students and teachers can learn from you, because I'm just going to tell the listeners right up front that Thomas has unbelievable, uh, uh, I, don't, I don't know if products is the right word, but services out there, um, courses out there. I have used a lot of them. Um, I'm in one of his mastermind groups, and it, I've taken his online courses unbelievably beneficial. So Thomas, I want you to tell them uh, what I know a lot of already, but tell them how they can find out about you and teachers and students can learn from you. Well, thank you. Uh, We have a website, Author Media, and we have a podcast through that website with hundreds of hours of free training on all kinds of topics, including pretty much everything we've talked about here that I have an episode on at one point or another. So we have episodes on how to write short stories and, and all the rest of it. Um, we also have courses and the two that I think would be most interesting, really the one, if you're just getting started, we have one called the five-year plan and it walks you through the first five years of your publishing journey with the goal of having a best-selling novel at the end of those five years. So it's specifically for uh, novelists and it's a a course that I teach along with a hall of fame, uh, inductee James L. Rubart. So he's not just an award-winning author. He's a Hall of Fame author. He really knows his stuff. And a lot of what you're learning is some of the things he learned the hard way and wishes he could have gone back and told his past self and also things that I've learned working with thousands of authors over the last 10 years. And we walk you through exactly what short stories to write, when to write your first book, when to write your second book, how to improve in your craft while you're also building your platform and your also and your network and it's um, very methodical and you can find out more about that course at authormedia.com and i'm going to have all of this in the show notes i'll have links to everything uh that thomas uh, does and ways you'll be able to find that very quickly and also thomas did you want to talk your talk about your uh, book launch blueprint that's coming out soon uh, uh, if you want to address that at all yeah so if you have a book coming out in the next year or two Uh, The Book Launch Blueprint is a really helpful course for helping you put together a custom book launch plan for your book. And this is, unlike our other courses that you go at your own pace, this course, everyone does day one together, everyone does day two together. It's very intense, and at the end, you have a customized book launch uh, for your book and for your strengths and for your weaknesses. Not everyone's going to do everything, uh, but you're going to understand how everything works (laughs) as you put together um, a specific recipe for your dish, so to speak. So if if you are closer to launching, you know, if you're just starting to write your book, this isn't a course for you. But if you your book's almost done and you're expecting it to come out in the next year or so, this book is really great for helping you lay the groundwork for your launch. Because if you're not careful, 
you put out your book and there's crickets, right? So a few of your friends buy a copy, your family buys a copy, nobody else buys a copy. And now all this work that you put into your book feels really discouraging because you don't have any sales. And so we teach you how that, how to not have that happen by preparing for a really solid launch with ideally the goal of hitting a bestseller list on Amazon at least. That's so good. Yeah. And I hope everyone will uh, at least take a look at that and uh, decide if that's a good fit for you. And so as you can tell, I, I was excited. Uh, I've told it before in my previous episode, how excited I was to have Thomas on the, on the podcast. And I'm, I'm sure now after the episode, all of you know why he definitely knows his stuff and, and uh, loves writers and loves to help writers. So that's great. Thomas, I want to end with this. It's something that I I uh, do occasionally on this podcast. I talk about what you're reading right now, and I, I try to share what I'm reading and what you might be reading. Now, to all the listeners, Thomas and I are both uh, kind of audible junkies, so if it's not on audio, it usually doesn't get read. But uh, Thomas, I, tell us what, uh, two things here. Tell us what you have read recently that you loved, and tell us what you're really looking forward to read or listen to that you haven't already. So I'm a big fan of Brandon Sanderson, uh, basically anything that he has uh, coming out uh, in the future is what I'm most looking forward to. I've read all of his books uh, up to this point. Um, in and terms of books I'm reading about? right now, I'm reading a book. Oh, he writes epic fantasy. And he, some people consider okay. him to be the king of epic fantasy. He's uh, He uh, wrote the Mistborn series and the Way of Kings. And um, he took over for Robert Jordan to finish up uh, The Wheel of Time. Um, I'm re- reading Newsletter Ninja, which is a book about uh, becoming an author mailing list expert. And I'm also listening to, it's not a book per se, but it's a, um, audio, a narrative podcast. So it's like a fiction podcast. So like an audiobook, but in podcast form called Girl in Space. And it is incredibly written. And it's representing this new genre of stories that are written first for audio rather than first for text. So it's got some sound effects and it's got some voice actors. It's mostly just the narrator, uh, but it's a really interesting book and I've really been enjoying it. And it's uh, got some mystery, it's got some sci-fi and um, it's got some sound effects. So it's fun. I like that. Well, I've read uh, recently, I I, I reread Endurance, um, the Ernest Shackleton book about his exploration to the Arctic. Uh, One of the uh, craft books, James Scott Bell, How to Write Dazzling Dialogue. That was a great one, an easy read. Uh, then I did, uh, gods, wasps, and stranglers. What do you think of that, Thomas? That's a, that's a heck of a title, isn't it? <laughs> uh, it is. It makes me curious uh, for sure. Uh, I know I, I put in an orchard, uh, got, got about 80 fruit and nut trees put in. And, uh, uh, so this is a book about fig trees. So I'm, I'm fascinated by the story behind trees. And, uh, one of the, one of the trees we put in, for example, is, uh, uh, the Arkansas black apple tree. And it's a, it's, it's a tree that was a mistake. It actually has an extra chromosome. And so it's kind of a special needs tree, I guess you could say it makes a beautiful uh, apple. And uh, so I, it, we put that tree in, in honor of our special needs son. And so I, I just love the stories behind things. And so that's what God's wasp and stranglers is it's a story of fig trees. And so the books that I'm looking forward to doing very soon um, I almost do all nonfiction and uh, I know I shouldn't do that, but uh, I love Hunger Games. And so I'm pumped. The uh, Hunger Games prequel comes out mid-May. So are you a Hunger Games fan? Oh, Thomas? really? I may be looking oh, forward yeah. to a new book right now. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It, it's released, I think, uh, May 13th or something like that. So, uh, yeah, the, the focus of the book is President Snow. And uh, he is a uh, he's a mentor in the 10th 
Hunger Games. So I'm very pumped. Going to learn the story of Snow. And uh, so that will be awesome. And then uh, the book, uh, Thomas and I, uh, we, we uh, are familiar. We're in a, a group with a, an author. Um, Peter DeHaan wrote a book called 52 Churches. And uh, him and his wife went to 52 different churches over the course of a year. And then he wrote about his experience at those 52 churches. And I've asked Peter if he'll put that on audiobook. And I don't think he's going to do it. So Thomas, I may break down and actually just uh, have to buy that and read it <laughs> like actual old fashioned on paper. Have you read that yet? I haven't. And for the same reason, I really want it to be an audiobook. And uh, I've also asked him to make it into an audiobook. But I've actually uh, thought about doing that when I was younger, about going to a different church every Sunday, just to because I was curious about, you know, what do Christians and other yeah. churches do? Because I still go to the same church I went to as a, as a child growing up. You know, I've been to other churches wow. from time to time. But, uh, you know, when I sing in a church back when I was in choir or, you know, visit a church for whatever reason, I'm, I'm always in intrigued by the similarities, but also by the differences. And I, I, I think going to 52 in a year is, is a bit overkill, but it does make me really curious <laughs> about the book and what, what he observed. Yeah, well, I'm going to put a link to his book in the show notes. And uh, if anyone reads it, uh, I'd love for you to make a comment about it. I'll also put it on the Chat Cargo Workshop Facebook page. And and uh, again, if anyone reads it, make a comment about it, because I'd love to hear what you think. Well, Thomas, uh, I think it was a great episode. And I am so thankful that you joined us. And I'm sure all the people enjoyed it as well. And, and just, man, thanks for taking the time out to join us uh, this week uh, for the podcast. Thanks, Chad. Thanks for having me on the show. Well, there you go. I hope you enjoyed that interview as much as I did giving the interview with Thomas. He is he's a great guy. And as you can tell, he loves to help writers. And if you're ever interested in any of uh, the things that he talked about in the writing, if you'll go on to your, uh, your podcasting app, you can find his Christian publishing show. You can find his novel marketing podcast. And man, he's got a catalog of hundreds of episodes. And so if you're having that thought, well, okay, how, you know, how would I be better at this? Or how could I get started with this? You can look through his episodes and you're going to find something that he's done about that, which can be very beneficial. And so anyway, I hope you'll check that out. Uh, as I said at the beginning of the episode, the Crowdcast is going to be Friday, April 24th at 2 p.m. I hope you'll join us. And again, I'd love to answer any questions you have about whatever topics there may be. I will have, uh, again, all of the information in the show notes. I'll have info on Peter DeHaan's book that we mentioned in the interview. Um, I'll put a lot of this uh, in there for you. You can also, again, find me on the Chad Kroger Workshop Facebook page. If you have any questions you want to post there, that would be great. I would be happy to answer any of those as well. All right. Well, that'll do it for this week. And I really hope that you'll continue to listen to these podcasts. If you enjoyed this and you think this could be beneficial for someone else, please share this with one person this week. Share this episode with one person, and hopefully that will help them as well. I would really appreciate it if you did that. Until next week, thank you. I'll talk to you again soon.